1: Welcome to episode 75 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. I have brought a very interesting guest for us today, Sean Finder. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Estee. I look forward to, uh, to talking to your audience.
1: I am excited to have you here and have you talk to them. So guys, a little bit more to know about Sean. He has always been an entrepreneur at heart. Um, At age 24, he entered the entrepreneurial world after competing as one of Canada's top-ranked tennis players. Told you he was interesting. He started out importing (laughs) packaging from the Orient and selling to top retailers in North America. However, knowing he always loved selling and list building, he founded Exchange Leads in 2013, which helps his company build quarterly lists. For outreaching New Prospects. This is something we're definitely going to talk about. Um, and this was followed by his new venture, AutoClose, which is spelled with a K in close, in 2017 that combines both the sales engagement and the list building in an all-in-one platform. So I like so many things about this. I like like the sports to business. I like the list building. I like the tech elements. Ah, so many fun things to talk about. So can we just like start with like tennis player to MBA? Like what...
0: Okay, so so, um, I played tennis my whole life. Um, I was uh, world ranked playing in the same tennis terms as Roger Federer and all the the main guys. They're all my age right now, so a lot of them are still playing. Um, And kind of it was one of those sports where at age 18, you have to make a decision. Do you want to try and be a professional tennis player? Or as some parents pushed me to, to go the educational route. Um, I went to go the educational route, so I ended up getting my MBA. uh, But still teaching tennis on the side because it's still been a part of my life. Um, and then did my MBA, um, I went that route, the education route, and, um, and I guess took away my tennis career in the hopes of being the number one tennis player in the world. So one second, I'm confused. At what age did you leave tennis, at 18? So at 18, I stopped playing competitively, um, okay. and then I taught it for about eight years after that. Um, so it'd be like a summer thing, and I teach the national team here in Canada, uh-huh. uh, but I stopped playing competitively at 18 and and really stopped playing about 26.
1: Okay. Got it. And so you've been in business now for quite a few years.
0: Yeah. So I, you know, I started my first business actually um, while I was in um, university doing my MBA. And then what happened was I got an MBA in finance, funny enough, uh, worked at some of the largest banks here in Canada. And, but I was always an entrepreneur. So you know, playing tennis, playing a sport, was always networking and always you know, talking to people 25 years older than me. Um, so finance was not really the route I wanted to go. And then I got an opportunity um, in sales, and then slowly, uh, well, as running a sales company, um, I built my own sales platform. Very interesting. Okay, so there's <laughs> so much
1: to unpack there, right? Yes, like, there is a finance, sales, building your own platform. There's like a lot of gaps in there. Um, so I get, I get the tenants that you left, you went to do education, um, although being nationally ranked at age 18 sounds pretty cool. And, and what was it? You just decided, like, I don't want to be a sports star. I just want to do different. Like, what was it that – was it like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be the best? Was it like, I don't care if I'll ever be the best? Like, what was that? Because I feel like in the minds of an 18-year-old, it's a really tough decision to choose your life route.
0: Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, one thing was, um, you know, I kind of my, – my mom actually sat me down and said, Sean, listen, you know, you could try and go the, the, the tennis route. But remember, one injury, one back injury, and I was always injury prone, you know, one thing goes wrong, you know, you're going to probably have to be a tennis coach, because that's all you're going to ever know is playing tennis and teaching tennis. Or you can go the education route and get an MBA and do something with your life. Um, And at this point, when I was, you know, when I was in my 20s, there was only one tennis player that actually ever made a living off tennis. Now we've got a few tennis players that are really good. But back then, we didn't have it. So, it was like, you know what, I have a, probably one in hundreds and millions of chance that I'll actually become a pro and make a living off it. Um, and obviously some influence from my mother. Um, and that's why I went the education route, got my MBA and, um, and started uh, working at the banks.
1: Okay, and the banks weren't for you. So I, I'm also curious, I, I hear that banks don't include networking. How does tennis include
0: networking? That's an amazing question. So after I stopped playing competitively, I taught tennis for eight years and I taught it in an area in Toronto where a lot of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the hockey players, and a lot of people that worked at the banks, actually every job I've ever gotten before I started my own was through tennis. So a lot of the people I would teach tennis to would be CEOs of companies. And, you know, you'd, I'd be 18, 19, 20, but teaching people that are in their 40s and fifties. So you had to know how to talk to people literally twice my age um, at a young age, which I think nowadays really makes me into the person I am. And, um, by being able to, at a young age, just network with kind of everybody and trying to get more tennis lessons, build the academy, et cetera.
1: That's very cool, that's an amazing, that's why I love hearing people's journey and their story because you see people at the end of it and you're like, wow, but things like that, those little things, those make such a huge difference because so many people go, again, whether it's from sports or, or any you know, initial um, direction, even going through business school, they don't teach those kinds of skills and those are the soft skills that are so important to being successful in a business without having to spend bombs of money or waste bombs of money um and so that that i think is so key
0: yeah and i think you just said it it's funny enough people always ask me you know is an mba worth it for example and i think an mba to me is was, it was three letters i learned skills but you don't you don't learn the networking aspect like you just mentioned or you know real world situations in a business you don't you can't teach that in school you're going to do that by kind of getting thrown in the ocean and sink or swim so that's kind of um, the a mentality
1: I had. I have a whole rant on academia because academia feeds itself, right? You can't yeah. teach in an MBA program unless you have a PhD. You can't teach in a bachelor's program unless you have your master's. Um, and so, if you're a real world business owner, and fair enough, I am personally biased because I wasn't allowed to teach entrepreneurship in university because I dropped out of my MBA program and I never finished it because um, I wanted to make money instead. Yeah. Um, and so, I'm only, so I teach entrepreneurship in the high schools because I can't teaching in the colleges, oh. but all the people like me who have been out in the world and building businesses and didn't go through all the schooling for it, academia is like, we don't want you. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want you to teach what happens in the real world. We want to teach all the stuff that other people taught our other people who teach the other people so they can teach the other people.
0: <laughs> exactly. No, I'm, I'm totally with you on that.
1: <laughs> and it's just uh, my personal rant. No, it comes also from um, one of my clients hired a, a social media marketer. Yep. So we do we do um business consulting and, and full creative suite. And so sometimes we do the social media implementation for clients. My I always encourage my clients to to be independent wherever that at the right place. Um I, I don't want to be needed, I don't need to be needed. And so he hired the social media manager who was a fresh graduate from a top university in California, and she had a degree in social media management. And I have to say, like I was intimidated, right? Because I graduated I'm not that old, but way before. Any like Facebook was being born, okay? When yeah. I finished university, like none of this stuff was out. And I'm like, you know, I've I've learned everything pretty much on my own from trying it, from poking it, from building it. And it's been successful. But like, here comes this graduate. So we come into this meeting and you know, and I start, you know, asking her questions. Okay, and what about this thing? What about that? And she's like, Oh, they didn't teach us that. Oh, I don't really know how that works. Oh, oh, really? Oh, that's so interesting. And I'm like, Are you kidding? You I could teach you more in one hour than you just spend tens of thousands of dollars on four years. Are you joking?
0: It's it's so funny you mention that. Like, and I shouldn't. So I actually I've been reaching out to my my university, my I did my MBA, and trying to hire some interns to you know give back to my school and stuff. And it's like I'm looking at some of the resumes. I'm like, did I not know any of this when I was doing my MBA? <laughs> I'm like, uh, did I have not have any experience? Because like it's it's almost like you you can't. I could teach them and probably and train them in two weeks, but there it's all like it's all scripted. It's all like. Um, you're not you're not learning real. For example, marketing. I was looking for a marketing intern. You're not learning people with real marketing experience that have done social media or or you know learned how to inbound marketing or what kind of SEO tactics you can do. Uh, it's it, I looked at the resumes like. I don't know what to say. I don't think I can hire an intern for my own BA school.
1: <laughs> like, Yeah, you guys are going to take way too much effort for me to teach. I know. It's tough. It's a tough world, guys. But there is no comparison for experience. And, and I would advise any student to be, to be having real experience at the same time because it's just the nature of the beast is school doesn't hand it to you. Oh, this is a rabbit hole. We could go down for a really long time. All right. I'm going to pull this out. Um, so you went into finance, which again, yep. those layering of skills, right? So layering the social and the networking skill and then layering of financial skill. And then you
0: landed in sales. How did you land in sales from banking? Was it through the banking industry or was it totally different? It's actually, that's a great question. So um, I will say this, going doing my MBA in finance and starting in finance was probably one of the best things for me as an entrepreneur, because if you can't read a balance sheet or ring an income statement, it's going to be really tough to run a business and a successful. And so what happened Only was, if you got, want money? If you don't want money, you'll
1: be fine. <laughs> exactly. but if you want money, yeah.
0: So, I actually to tell you my second week on my last co op during my MBA, I was working at one of the banks here and I was on the elevator.
1: What's
0: a co op? A, a co op was, like, um, was basically you do four months school, four months work. Four months school, four oh, months. Oh, so it's like,
1: almost like a business internship, but like exactly. business placed it for co op
0: in Canada. <laughs> got it. Okay. So, so I was in my last work term, I guess you could say from MBA. And I was on the elevator and my boss was there. And I said, good morning to my boss. And you look in the elevator, everyone just looks at the computer screen or the TV screen at the top of the elevator. Nobody says good morning. And i like, good morning, Bill. And Bill looks at me like, like, it was almost like you don't say hello when you're working in finance. And I've always been such a social person. So what I did was I actually reached out to a recruiter and said, you know what? Um, you know, I'm not happy with the position right now. Can you like, find another job? And I went in for a finance role to one of the top recruiters in here in Toronto. And he looked at me and we were talking, just having a, we actually were having a beer. He's like, like, I have a company that's looking, he's looking for a VP of sales. It's not in finance. We don't, we don't recruit for, for sales, but I think you're the perfect person. And I actually ended up interviewing with a CEO who flew in from New York and I got a VP of sales role right out of my MBA and oh, my wow. finance firm. And that's how I got transitioned from finance to sales. And then a week into that position, I actually came up with my idea of my first business where I started to do and started to work on while I was working as VP of sales for a computer software company here in Toronto.
1: Got it. And that's how we start getting into the software and the tech.
0: So that's how I meet my CTO at the time and um, figure out how I'm going to build a software that was an idea. And I was always a sales marketing guy and he was the introvert tech guy. And um, we had the best of both worlds and that's how I came up with the idea. It was actually... my first week on my new job as a VP of sales, I found something that I think we can do better and we started building it.
1: Wow, very cool. So how long until you, like? did you do it on the side while you stayed working or like how long till you left and were like, okay, forget it, Like, I'm just gonna do this
0: myself better? Great question. So the first thing I did was I had the idea and I found someone to develop it um, out in Eastern Europe. So it was a little bit cheaper than paying someone in North America. And I would take my salary and I would pay for this person to develop my idea. Um, And I said to myself from day one, you know, at that point I was making six figures at a sales job. And I said, when I make my first sale, I don't care what it is. I'm going to take the leap and become an entrepreneur. And about a year later, I'm saving some money. And at that job, I made my first deal and it was worth $49. (laughs) And at $49, I took the leap and started my own business. Now, hence, I will tell the audience, I did save up that I can afford rent and everything in Toronto for four months while I was working that whole year. But I did leave as soon as I hit that first sale um, for $49.
1: That's pretty cool. Okay, so talk to me about this list building because this is so, again, for me as a marketer, I love all these kinds of things and I think there's a lot of confusion around the online list building and list purchasing and yep. spamming rules and all of that. So so tell us about the idea itself. What did you
0: sell for $49? What's the service? What does it do? Okay, so first business I did was, the, it was called Exchange? it was a data service. So what I did was I looked at Jigsaw, um, which was an old company that got acquired by, by Salesforce. And what they did was, it was more of a crowdsourced data company, so therefore you had marketers all over the world who had data. They would be able to upload the data, any clean data they provided, the pool, they would get credits to download new data. So say you uploaded 1,000, you got 500 credits, now your 1,000 turns into 1,500 because I'm giving you 500 credits. And that's how we've started building the list.
1: One second, how did they qualify it? And hold on, just for our listeners, we have to break this down. So when we're talking data, we're talking information about people.
0: Yeah,
1: business to business it was originally, right. yes. Right, business um, information. So it would be, but it, would it be people within the business? Like what, what were the qualifications and
0: how was the data qualified to know if it was clean? Great question. So there would be a minimum of 11 fields that any marketer would need. I mean, marketers want to call, email, and still sometimes direct mail. Right. So it had to have, you know, the, the first name, last name, um, the full address. So you can make direct mail emails for email marketing, um, you know, co- numbers for cold calling. So there was 11 fields that your data had to have or else it wouldn't take it. And as long as you had those 11 fields, we would then validate the emails by, you know, our own little machine plus pinging the servers and different things we did. And we would find out if that person was still at that organization and if they were. You get a credit to download new contacts from our database. How would you
1: find out if they were still at that organization?
0: We would do we ping the servers to see if the email would go through. So we wouldn't actually send the email. It, it just test it if it would. Yeah. Exactly, but we also had a team in Eastern Europe that would actually look on LinkedIn and see what their current position was.
1: Nice. So manual plus tech.
0: Love exactly. it.
1: Okay. And I, and I love just for all the listeners who like don't realize you know, that they're literally a commodity being traded, even though I blast them about it every day um, that Google owns you and Facebook owns you. And now every random person that has your name, phone, address, email, and company title owns you and sells you or trades you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they, they does not, you know, when I started that company about four or five years ago. Data was actually a little different than it is today. But yeah, uh, today
1: you got data privacy, which I definitely want to go into and like how yeah. that falls into this industry. But yeah, then it really wasn't a big deal. And, and the truth is, even now, you know, I always tell my people if they're not adept, Google yourself incognito. Look yep. at what the internet has to say about it. People are sometimes shocked. It'll show their, their home address, some like person, like some very personal information that's very, very public. Like not everyone, guys, all of you listening, Google yourself incognito. incognito so that it doesn't give you any biased results see what the internet has to say about all your private stuff that's just sitting there for the taking from anybody no footwork so but what made yours better than jigsaw because jigsaw apparently already existed to do this trade Yeah.
0: so, so jigsaw was acquired by salesforce and the only thing i found when i was the vp of sales when i started that first company in the first few weeks was we purchased data from people and the bounce rate was high the information was inaccurate and i'm like like i'm like there's companies that are I'm not gonna say the company, the company's worth billions of dollars. And the data quality is very poor. I'd rather provide quality over quantity, so we focus more on giving giving the users less of a quantity. So instead of having fifty million contacts, we'd have ten, but the ten would all be accurate. Um so I found a big thing in the industry was you know bad data and I thought, well, if if they can't solve it, I would rather solve it, and that's what we tried to do was solve the-, the I hear. and you did issue. it
1: better because you had a team in Eastern Europe who would go and validate each one manually by checking out their profiles. I love it. And so the marketers are coming. They're providing you with all the information. Again, there's no money changing hands there. They're giving, they're getting, they're all trading, and then you're selling this to other people.
0: Yeah, so people could sign up for subscription. It was you know, nine dollars was the smallest when we started. We raised the prices, obviously. You get a certain amount of contacts, but- Our pool would continue to grow as people all over the world are uploading more contacts and we're validating. We go from 500,000 to a million to 2 million to 3 million. And every day there's new contacts being added that are all valid. So that's kind of, it was almost a crowdsourced way of keeping our data clean.
1: Very cool. But you're still doing, you're funding all the validation. Meaning you're not having, the validation is not crowdsourced. It's not other people doing it. It's your paid team and again, you're a t- paid tech and you're a paid team in East Europe that's validating each one that comes through.
0: Yeah, so we would ping the servers. And if we, you know, there's three things when you when you have a data. One is that the data is valid. The second one is invalid. And the third one's called a catch-all. Now, a catch-all means it's valid or invalid. Therefore, it could be, for example, you know, Sean at Autoclose.com, which is my email. Um, if I got fired somehow, I don't know how, but if I got fired <laughs> and I left the organization, but now we're sending Sean's email and forwarding it to Bill... Mm-hmm. The email still exists, but Sean no longer works the company. So those are the ones that we would send to the data team to see if those people still work at the company.
1: I hear. Meaning if it pings and it goes through and it says that this is valid, we assume that it's accurate. Exactly. And how do we know if the mailing address is accurate? Like, are we just trusting the person if they have the right name and email or just a correct email?
0: So mailing is a little bit tougher, but you know, the thing with mailing is organizations don't move too, too often. Like people, like people are changing jobs all the time. But how often like for example are people changing um company locations um not as often
1: business addresses
0: everything's sorry everything is only we only deal b2b so we have nothing consumer everything's business business.
1: got it so these are only business addresses and business emails and phone numbers that makes sense that makes sense and i think guys for all of you out there um services like sean's exist all over people are just like how do i get leads well one way is to buy them, <laughs> or to <Yeah>. trade them. <laughs> Take a couple of your your friends and neighbors' businesses and storefronts. Go upload them. <laughs> go download a couple of leads, and then swap again.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, there's, you know, that's the outbound. There also is obviously you as a, you would be the expert in. There's the marketing way to do the inbound yeah. organic way, which is probably a lot more healthier. <laughs>
1: I, that, that's my preference. I've never bought a list in my life. Um, but you know what? Sometimes, again, everyone with their skill set, right? So I've had clients where we're obtaining lists and sending out a mailing or even doing an email blast really is the most effective way for them. Yeah. You know, and and even the, with my whole mantra of like you know more money less headache and never waste money on marketing again, which is kind of the the promise of my program, it's not a waste if you do it strategically. So like you know for example like and just we're talking about list buying, if you sell something that's a minimum of a hundred dollars, and you know that this is exactly your list of leads, and that the likelihood that at least one person will convert, then you can pay a hundred dollars for it pretty safely. Yeah. And and that's kind of the way you have to go with these things. So this is very cool. So how big did this company get?
0: Do you see details? So funny enough, you know, it was about two year, two years in, two years in, um, we were very profitable, and I had to make the decision. A was pay the, the government of Canada a lot of taxes and money, or B start something new. So what we did was we went to our clients and we said, listen- Wait,
1: why, why two-year mark do we pay the government? Are there like certain Canadian rules you have up to two years not to pay taxes? Well I'm- no.
0: It, it, we started becoming very profitable after two years. Let's just say that. So we, okay. we started making money where we'd have to pay a lot in taxes. And um, then why
1: would you shut it down and do something new then?
0: We never shut it down. It still runs. Okay. So, we okay. run it, so it actually runs with the new company. So the idea for the second company, AutoClose, came from the first company. As people would say, Sean, we love your data, but now- how do we email people? That was so gonna be have- my
1: next question is what are the best ways to use this information and you're already answering it. And that's intuitive. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. People come with the data and then they're like, okay, I got names and numbers. What do I send them?
0: So you said it. So that's why we built the second platform, which has the first database inside the platform. So therefore now with auto close, you can build out an email sequence or a marketing sequence even. And you could go in, build a campaign, search through our database, use our data, and email them from one place. So instead of having your data provider and your marketing or sales engagement tool, we put that all in. So they both kind of run parallel with each other and Exchange Leads is actually the data that funnels AutoClose.
1: Very cool. And how does that help you from the tax liability?
0: Well, just because instead of paying the taxes, we basically had research and development and built a second tool. So it was an expense gotcha. now to, to build it's another tool as an, an expense.
1: <laughs> Understood.
0: Had to this be strategic. Like, yeah. You know what? I think
1: a lot of people don't understand that. And that is a big piece of business. And that's you know where your finance background probably comes into play so strongly. Part of making money is understanding that it's not linear. <laughs> it's not like um, there are understanding money is understanding governments and legalities and the rules and all the stuff that goes with that. And the people who really make it big are the ones who do. Again, fully legal business structures that of course. limit their tax liabilities. Otherwise you sit and you just, you know, one of the best things in this is, we were just talking about sitting in the last episode, my last guest last week, Um, we were talking um, rich dad, poor dad. Yep. Ever read that? So that's exactly like the stuff he talks about. Like most people like they earn money, and then they pay taxes, and then they have some left over for themselves, right? And as a business owner, you earn money, deduct all your expenses, and then pay taxes if there's anything left.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, you know, a lesson for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Like, you know, you if you have, for example, you know, in your first year, you're always trying to grow when you start your business. So if you have a profit of 20000 you know, especially here in Toronto, I don't know what the taxes might be, but wherever you are, but, you know, if you're paying 30 40% taxes, like, why not spend that 20000 on marketing, for example? Spend that 20000 on marketing, break even for the year, because you're going to be paying eight of that 20000 to the government anyway. So now you're really only paying 12000 for that extra marketing. So having that finance background and, and trying to really grow your company, you know, you, at the end of the day, you, you have to spend money to grow a company. So you got to be um, curious. So, profits are great, but at the starting, you might want to just break even.
1: So I always say you don't have to spend money to make money. You have to spend money to make more money.
0: Oh, 100%. Right
1: you could always start from nothing and you don't have to spend and you can earn. And then if you want to scale, scaling without spending is tough.
0: Oh, it's, it's gray hairs and wrinkles. <laughs> you can't see it, but yes, that's what it happens. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you.
1: So you're the sales guy. Um, break it down for us, right? I'm sure people pay you for this, but you're going to give it to us for free. What goes into these marketing sequences? What do people need to do? And I know the platform does it for them, but, what goes into that? Is there a psychological pathway that it follows? Is there a certain language flow? Like what do people need to know about this?
0: It's a great question. So one of the things that, you know, I think the most important with any sales or marketing is you can have great data, you can have every tool in the book, but if you don't have great content and great emails that convert, none of that matters. If you you have 20 contacts at work, but you don't know how to you know, articulate in a message, it's not going to work. So some examples are, you know, subject line and, and body paragraphs of emails. People think, you know, long subject lines or, you know, creative subject lines work, but to be honest, a simple subject line, like high SD actually will get you the best converted conversion. Um, really? So, okay, oh, guys,
1: wait, write these down. Okay. Best subject line. One second. Yeah. Meaning that that's the actual subject of the email. Hi SD.
0: SD. That's it. No way. Actually will get you then better than writing, I want five minutes of your time or, you know, quick follow up, for example, two to three words is all you want in your subject line. And here's the reason why. When you write an email, most people look at their emails after work, before work, or when they're looking at it on their mobile device. If you're writing a six to eight word subject line, guess what? Your prospects don't see that. They only see the three words on their mobile. So your three, your first three words are the actual most important words in your subject line.
1: Ooh, okay. This is email marketing gold. Guys, I hope you're taking notes. I'm taking notes. All right. First three words, equal, most important. These are my notes. Um, I like that. I always thought about that, but I never thought about it in that way. Um, But I use, okay, so hold on, I'm going to pick your brain for a second. I use brackets sometimes. Love it. Brackets will enable that part to shrink. People can still search and track it, but you don't lose the whole line.
0: Yeah? I, I, I use brackets as well sometimes. Yep. Yep, okay, so bad. the bracket
1: trick, do you know how many characters it reserves? I've never counted it.
0: I don't know how many, but you know, okay. I use brackets. But I, as I said, you know, three to four words max is what I try and do it's my subject, subject line.
1: line. And your I'm whole point of your subject demon is genius,
0: always personalized. So that's one thing in our in our system, you can personalize as much as you want. So, for example, you can build your own tokens and say, you know, Esty loves the sun. So, you can actually put that as a token, what is a hobby or an interest of Esty, and you could put it in there. So Personalizing is very important. So your name, obviously, you know, Sean, quick question, SD, quick question, hi SD, are a great one. Um a second tip I'm gonna give, and this is gold too. And 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 I actually my own team makes this mistake and I've recently changed it. Is when people email, I hate when they say, you know, I'm gonna use your name. So hi, um, my name is sd and I run company ABC. Um, I'd love to talk about this with you. Like People don't want to hear about what Esti does. They want to hear no. about what the prospects doing or this the is challenges.
1: This foundational Dale Carnegie: How to Win Friends and Influence People. Every time I see him in a, an email like this, I blast them. I'm like, I just, I just send them Chapter Three of Dale Carnegie. Nobody cares at all about you and what you do. Exactly. Three paragraphs, introducing it, and then asking them for something.
0: What is wrong with you? (laughs) Especially like, for example, if I said, you know, hi, I'm Sean at autoclose.com. Well, guess what? My email is Sean at (laughs) autoclose.com. They already have my name and they already have my company and in my signature, they have everything too. Don't repeat yourself. Say something like, you know, I can increase your website conversion by 82% in three days. Well, I'm going to read more if somebody wrote me that than if I heard, hi, my name is Sean. Just my, 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 my two cents. Totally. So, so the subject line is try to include the person's name,
1: two to three words. And then the first sentence of your email is your promise.
0: Here's what uh, yeah. I can do for you. I would say try and hit a challenge or try and hit a pain point of that person. And as a marketing person, you probably know buyer's personas extremely important. So try and hit that pain point of that buyer's persona that is your target market. Totally. And
1: then what do we do?
0: And then you want to build out 6 state email sequence. So you want to build that out because, A, for example, we're, we're doing a podcast right now for an hour. You might be on calls later. Everyone's busy. Everyone's getting too many emails nowadays, and everyone's too busy. So you want to continue to automate those follow-ups. Um, but those follow-ups aren't long emails. So after you send that first initial email with you hitting that pain point, all you're really trying to do in your follow-up is say, Hey, Sean, um, I, I sent you an email last week, didn't get a reply. I know you're busy. Do you have 15 minutes this week? Like two, three lines. No, no prospect wants to read a whole paragraph, again, on why you're going to be good. Everyone's so good at doing this. I'm so good. I can get you this. Just try and get that call. Get that demo. Get them on that screen share on Zoom. And that's the best way to actually close a sale. So You want to continue to send those follow-ups. And once that prospect replies and is willing to give you 15, 20 minutes, they're actually removed from the sequence
1: got it so this is all built in so i'm saying email marketing tools like we use active campaign so you're yep. kind of combining list purchase and are you do, would you look at active campaign as a competitor is that like the kind of thing or because your thing is specifically toward hitting lists active campaign is what i use to build every email sequence we do um guys it's like mailchimp constant contact just yep. more expensive and fancier <laughs> a lot more expensive
0: well thanks for telling me I, I know i look at our bill every month on mailchimp and i'm just like oh my god so if you're paying MailChimp, pay ActiveCampaign instead, it's way better. Okay, um, well, I'll, I'll send it to the marketing team. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, to the marketing team. Once you pay – because um, ActiveCampaign actually builds sequences purposefully. MailChimp integrated – okay, so guys, um, warning, <laughs> tech talk for the next few minutes. <laughs> so the three biggest email marketing platforms right now um, – Constant Contact, MailChimp, yep. Active Campaign with a bunch of accessories like drip and all these like billion other things. People use HubSpot. I'm like, oh, I can throw out 15 names. Yep. Um I I do a t- I'm a I'm a tech geek. I was a CIO for six and a half years um, before I started doing this. So I I love technology. I love all the different types of information systems. I like do database architecture. So like understanding how they're built on the back end. So MailChimp was built to be a almost like a newsletter marketing platform. Yes. Okay. Active Campaign was built for sequences. Okay. So that's the biggest difference. MailChimp, I feel like, looked at ActiveCampaign about a year ago and they're like, oh, that's the cool guy on the street now. Okay, let's put in sequences for us too. But it's very sloppy. It's very clunky. The interface is super annoying. And MailChimp is free for the first 2,000 contacts. So if you have less than that, stay there, right? Don't. But as soon yeah. as you start paying them, and that's what I did, I switched. I'm like, if I'm already paying you, I'm rather pay someone else. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna take a look at that. Time. I'm obsessed with active campaign now. Um, just the, the level of automation, the interface, right? So I looked at Drip also, which is another one that is built for sequences, um, but the interface is very clunky. Active yeah. campaign is like, oh, it's like the Lamborghini. It's just, it's so sleek. It's yeah. so sleek. and it's so intuitive. You just, you go in. I love intuitive software because again, software geek. Um, I love it when I can look at it and I can basically figure it out myself. Right, yep. That's why I like am getting all my clients off of Asana, moving them all on to Monday. They're like, but Asana. I'm like, yeah, but nothing. Okay, like,
0: move. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of software research.
1: Okay. Tech tech segments. <laughs> uh,
0: so I'll tell you the difference between so an active campaign is a marketing is more of a marketing tool. It's a marketing New tool, correct. MailChimp. So we use MailChimp for marketing. Auto close. The big difference between a MailChimp, and an active campaign and an auto close is Autoclose actually sends the emails directly from you and your servers. Ah, okay. Your know, MailChimp and ActiveCampaign still sends it from you, but from their, their servers. servers. So, so if you have spam words and stuff, you might sometimes end up in promotions folder, marketing folder, because it's a marketing email. So Autoclose bypasses
1: that because it's using your personal server. So it's like Gmas,
0: but cooler. Exactly. So, it's, it's, so we connect directly with your Gmail. We don't, I mean, you can do, but we don't ask you to do those pretty newsletter HTML. It's more text emails to try and follow up. Sequences. Yeah, and we don't want
1: pretty newsletters. Guys, if you're trying to do sales emails, no pretty newsletters, no banners, no. no, these are meant to look personal. Exactly. They are impersonal, personalized. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so that would be the big difference.
1: That's actually really cool that you say that because I, I've always had my eye on which tools get into the inbox. Yes. Um, and so now I'm adding your tool to my official list um, for that exact reason. So guys, if you ever notice, like sometimes you send an email and it ends up in everyone's spam, or sometimes you get emails to like. So me, I'm work backwards. Any sales email that lands in my inbox, I hack it and I try to figure out what platform they use and how they send. Very it. Very smart. Very. <laughs> Which is smart. how I found Gmas. Um, <laughs> That's how I figured that out. I never, there was no advertisement. Someone got into my inbox with it. And I'm like, what is this? You want to
0: source code and check it out. And do some I, do. I do,
1: I do, I do. I write click and I'm like, where? I do that for websites also. I'm like, who built this? What video is this on? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's sometimes to my detriment because I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone is using Wistia. And then I realized that Kajabi White Labels Wistia. Okay, sorry, that was a really long tech. Um, i just obsessive. Because you know what? My whole motto is more money, less headache right? How do yep. you earn more and work less? How do you work smarter? How do you pay less and get the best tools? So for that, I have to do a ton of research. So every time we need a new tool or a client needs a tool, we will go and we'll research all the biggest things um, and any small suggestions that people have as well. Like, oh, my friend use this. Fine, I'll check that out too. And sometimes we found great little things that way. Just because yep. something's not popular doesn't mean it's not excellent. Um, we switched calendaring software. We analyzed all the biggest calendaring softwares. I could tell you exactly why you would use Calendly versus Schedule Ones versus Acuity versus anything else.
0: Oh, do you use Calendly? I do not.
1: I use Acuity really? for very specific
0: reasons. Okay. So I, we used, I love Calendly. We use Calendly. I um, love Calendly
1: also, but if you're trying to sell with it and you want people to pay and you want to do package sales and you want to do yeah, all that
0: stuff. Okay, that's different. Acuity. Right. We're doing it more just, for just demos booked.
1: Correct. Demos booked, Calendly is perfect. Yep. Unless you have an entire team, in which case you use schedule once because it's the only one that does an auto rotator.
0: Oh, that's interesting. There you go. You're welcome.
1: And uh, both... Um, Calendly and Schedule Ones will create a shared invite, whereas Acuity will not create a shared invite. So we analyze on all these metrics.
0: Interesting. So yeah, we're we're fully integrated with Calendly. That's why we actually, Acuity we should look at, but fully integrated with Calendly right now.
1: Acuity look at only if you want to do paid in packages. It's totally not what you need. Acuity is built for independent service providers who want to bill through it for that event. And it automates that entire process, which is amazing, including the email follow ups. And it's fantastic for that. If you're just trying to schedule demos, if you're single people, Calendly is perfect. And if you're a team, Schedule One is actually next level in a completely different way.
0: Some great info.
1: (laughs) Okay, wait, back to this. Because wait, now I want to pick your brain again now. So, because hold on, I'm going to pause for a minute because we're going deep into email marketing. Do you guys only do the email marketing part now? Do you still do the snail mail? Do you guide people on how to write um, direct sales letters that are printed or do you only do the email stuff?
0: So the platform is only emails. We do have phone numbers in there, but we don't have anything but email currently inside the platform. But as we talked about, you know, content in the emails recently, um, one of the things we did actually now we now provide is where we write the sequences for our clients because we've tested it. We've researched it. We've done it before. So we now do that as a service to help them get better, better results in their sequences. Because at the end of the day, that's your engine. You need your content to be good.
1: Totally. Do you write them personally for each client or do you have like standard scripts that people can pay X to get the
0: scripts? Both. So inside the platform, we give you free templates, sequences okay. inside the platform, but everyone's business is different. If you want it specifically for your business, we do it separately. It takes about four days for our, our content team to do them. And we mm-hmm. actually write them up for you.
1: Very cool. And do you guarantee, or do you have like stats to show the different click-through rates?
0: Yeah. So inside the platform, you'll see your open rate, your click-through rate, your reply rate and all that stuff right inside the dashboard. Um, awesome. For each
1: okay. We went super tech geek on everybody. <laughs> okay. Guys, email marketing 101. Now I know not every listener, like I get very excited about this and I'm like, jargon, 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 jargon. And everyone listening is like, SD, I don't know anything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's backtrack. Let's just go like 101 for a second. Email marketing. Yep. We send emails to people. Those emails have subject lines. They have content. And they are meant, when it's email marketing, in the end, to sell somebody something. Yep. Um, sales funnel. The more emails you send, hopefully, the more people you sell. But there is a place in between hit send and make sale. The first thing is how many people get your email, how many people open it, and how many people click on anything that you've put in there for them to click on. And that, guys, is the open rates. How many people open the email? Click-through rate is how many people click. Because if you're sending an email, you want them to take action. You've put in, again, if you ever listen to me say anything, you have put in some request for them to take action. Yeah, and so then there's something for them to click, and those are the levels of automation that can be tracked: how many times it was opened, if something was clicked, how many times it was clicked. And um, I always love it when I used to look at my MailChimp stats. I don't do this so much now because just a little more people on the list. But we used to send monthly newsletters back in the day, um, which you don't do so much now. Um, I used to look at my open rate, and it was always funny for me to see like the people who opened it ten times or fifteen times. But I feel like they just had their email on like auto advance. And they were probably like yeah. leaving it in their inbox, and like every time we get up to my email, like, oh, I'll look at that later. <laughs> 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 and then they come back like, I don't really believe they opened my email ten times to read it.
0: <laughs> it's some of the stats that we see in our marketing team too. So I think it, uh, I think you're right, and you hit the the bullet on that one.
1: Yeah. And and that's something you have to understand. You really do need an intelligent eye to look at because you're like, this guy opened my email 10 times. He's such a hot lead. I'm like, no, no, no. He just keeps not deleting it because he's going to look at it later. He's really, no one who cares that much opens it 10 times, reads it and is like, I really want to talk to this person. Should I? No one does that. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Okay. So now I get to go back into the deep dive. So two to three word, subject line with a name, great opening line that hits their hot challenge or their pain point, then how long is that first email? What should go into it? Do you make a request on the first one? Like, I know there's so many different opinions on this and I really want yours. Uh,
0: I, so I usually try and keep it between 75 to 125 words max okay. um, on the email. Um, and it all depends on who I'm reaching out to and who, which one of the buyer's persona. So if I'm reaching out to a CEO, Who I, for example, might want to make more money for, I might throw in and start throwing in some more stuff to get trust. So I might throw in case studies. I might throw in um, someone in their industry that's using the platform and their results. Um, But ideally, I like to put my Calendly in there um, because I find once I can get them off, off the emails and into a Zoom, which is a screen sharing platform or a a call, uh, my conversions are a lot better. So ideally we try and get them on the call because once you can actually show them the platform, we have a very good conversion. So the whole goal is to get them off that email and to show, show them the platform.
1: Right. And that's the sales funnel. Do you have people though, that are using this to sell things that are more automated, meaning selling again, direct selling, right? So this is, we're doing email marketing into what we call direct selling, which is where you get someone on a phone. You actually close the deal or onto a, a video chat, um, which probably has a higher conversion rate than phone, I'm guessing. And um, just for many reasons. And yep. um, what about people who are trying to sell something automatically? They, they have a $59 course and they want to yep. just, you know, spray and pray as we call it <laughs> right? yep. so massive email blasts and hope that people buy this thing.
0: Yeah. So th- the thing is we're not an email, real email marketing tool. We're more of a sales automation tool where because okay. we're sending it from your Gmail, you can't actually email blast people you have a limit that you can send because you can only send say 500 a day from your Gmail. That would be the limit inside our platform. If you wanted to blast hundred thousand people, you might want to go to like a a send grid or one of those email marketing platforms. Um, So more people, you know, with ours, they're trying to be be more salesy, but trying to really nurture them through a sequence. I mean, you could automatically go in right away for the um, the 49 dollars but what I would do for that is I would use like a MailChimp or one of those marketing tools take your four or five star people that are currently engaged in your marketing stuff, push them through your sales where they're almost sales ready and then email them you know, to try and close them. Okay,
1: I hear that. So then let's go on the angle where you guys are the strongest, which is the, again, lead gen in order to get yep. them on a direct sales call. Um, and, and this is very personal, right? It's coming from your personal email, from your personal name, that's where it's yep. meant to be from. Um, so that first email, 75 to 125 words, depending on the buyer persona, um, Lay out buyer personas for everyone.
0: Okay, so buyer's persona would be um, anyone, in, anyone that might purchase your product and the reason why they would purchase your product. So everyone has a different, here's an example. For auto close, let's just say CEOs, um, national sales managers, and sales reps are three different personas. A CEO CEO wants to make more money. So in my messaging, I want to talk about how and make their company more money. A national sales manager, wants their regional sales managers to hit quota because a national sales manager gets a bonus on how well their regional does. So they might not care about how much money I'm going to make them. They might be more important or more concerned about how many qualified leads or demos I'm going to bring. An SDR, you know, is trying to get leads for his account executive sales development representative. Got it. Okay. So an SDR won't care about how much money I'm going to bring. They just want to have a calendar full of meetings because the more meetings they book, the more money they're going to make. So each person has different reasons why they want your product, and you have to, you have to build to your them. content exactly. Got it.
1: Okay, yeah, this is when I talk about target avatar. That's I was just making sure that it translated the same. That's the buyer persona. Like we actually, I have like this little sketch of a of a menchie, like a little yeah. sketch person, and I tell my clients, dress him up, name him, her. <laughs> right? Um, and we have like you know, what is their key pain point? What is their key desire? What is like. And and that's what you have to know about your person before. And this is when we teach our marketing course, that's the foundation, right? Everyone's like, we just yep. want to go out there and get people. I'm like, you got to know who they are first.
0: 100%.
1: You can't go get them if you don't know who they are. You don't know how to talk to them. doesn't help. Um, okay. So you've already crafted by your persona. And so you're writing for them, to them based on that. Understood. What's the angle of each of the emails in the sequence? So email one is like, I like to kind of summarize like, like let's say I'm building a sequence for a client, right? So, oh, I just did this yesterday. Oh, where is this one? Um, this was for a fundraising. Ah, there's this guy. Um, oh, so we were beginning with a survey to re-engage the audience. Yeah. And then I told him that we're going to layer in, we, 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 I like layering stuff because it makes it more effective. Um, so we're starting with a survey. Then we're actually going to be layering in a certain type of giveaway. I don't want to Giveaway yep. too much. Um, so we're beginning with a survey to re-engage, then we're gonna hint at a giveaway, then um, with like a reminder, do survey, you know, 30 second type, whatever. Um, then it's a survey results are coming, then it's a boom, here's all the fun stuff that's happening with the survey results. Then it's a, you know, three email sequence, um, yeah. you know, the giveaway's going. It's getting closer. People are winning. You got to get in on it. And then it's a, okay, answers are coming. Go follow us on social to yeah. get your answers. And then it's a, hey, answers are going live in two hours. And then it's a, okay, answers went live yesterday. Here they are for all of you
0: losers who didn't follow us on social. <laughs> um,
1: and that's kind of like, you know, when I script a campaign, like I, I kind of do it like that, <laughs> you know, and then it goes to the copywriters. And,
0: and, and that's perfect. I mean, that's, that's good because you're, you're teasing, 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 and going in for the kill. And then going back and teasing, teasing, and then saying, you know, giving a little bit of FOMO fear of missing out um, at the end. It's perfect. Yeah. So what would be, so that was, again, that was a very specific sequence for a very specific situation. What would
1: be a more basic standard lead sequence? Like if you were to name the six to eight emails, and by the way, psychology, right? It takes five to seven touch points to go from cold to closed. Um, So that would be the six to eight emails. (laughs) That's that's why.
0: So I would, I would go in for, you know i 'd go in first with a generic try and hit that pain point and challenge so you can actually get them to read the email and then um, you know if they don 't reply, I start to build you know trust so i 'll actually input some social touches also so you might go on LinkedIn and add them as a connection or you might endorse them or like or share something they post on LinkedIn. The second one will be trying to build trust um, so for example if i 'm reaching out to somebody in the manufacturing industry, I might reach out with some sort of um, you know, case study or something that we've worked with, with somebody in the manufacturing industry to say, Hey, you know, for example, let's just use education. Actually. Um, say I'm working with the university of Florida and now I want to say, Oh, I'm reaching out to Florida state and I'm telling them, Hey, we're working at, we're, we're actually working with the university of Florida. These are the results the university of Florida had Florida state's going to kind of feel like, Oh, well, if they're using it and they're six hours away, etc. So you want to build that trust. Um, I would still add a calendar to schedule the call in the second to third email, but the second one would be more could be a case study. Third one might be um, continue to build trust, and that could be through um, a white paper, um, a video recorded demo or something of the product. Um, and then when you for keep- the
1: uninitiated, a white paper is just kind of a generic teaching thing. Yep. <laughs> That's why it's called white.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not to be uh, confused with white labeling. Exactly. (laughs) And then, you know, the next two might be just follow ups. Hey, I've sent you a few emails now. So follow follow up. And then the last one, I go in for a reply. Um, So I might be going in for a click in the first few with my calendar. But the last one might be, hi, Esty, um, I've reached out to you several times. I've sent you a case study. Is it a, you know, not part of your budget this quarter? B, you're currently using one of our competitors? C, you have no interest? Or D, you just have no time? And my end up goal is A, B, C, D, see what the reply is, and then build another sequence out of that reply.
1: Very cool. Love it. Guys, gold. I hope I've been taking notes. I hope you've all been taking notes. (laughs) I love it. I feel like we could go here forever. Um, But as this is the Business Breakthrough Podcast, I must know at this advanced stage and with the ability built into the company of what you do to develop so many leads, which is so many people struggle, um, you know, how to get the leads, how to close the leads. What is the current business struggle for you guys?
0: The current business struggle right now, um, I would say is one is hiring good salespeople. Um, hiring good salespeople is a struggle because there's a few things. A, um, you find a salesperson, they work for you and people in sales always want to make more money. So, if they come in and after three months you've trained them, you've spent all this money training them, and then across the street they've offered ten thousand dollars more, for example, um, a lot of people make the move. So a lot of the transition in sales, which is um, I guess something that is a struggle with trying to maintain. That's why you got to um, entrepreneurs build a good culture at the beginning, build somewhere where people want to work and they want to stay. Um, so that's one thing. That means you know team activities, et cetera. Um, you know, second is. Um, is because we work, we have a team in Toronto, we have a team in, a little bit in Florida, and a, a big team in Europe, it's trying to use you know, like something like Slack, which is a communication tool, but trying to make sure everyone's working the same hours and everyone's communicating with each other and p- being engaged with each other. So I think that is one of the important things with us, is trying to make sure everyone feels like one team, even though we might be in different locations. Um, oh. And then this, the third thing um, I would say as a tip is um, everything takes time. So as an entrepreneur, small business, don't expect results right away and don't expect to, um, to have a developer tell you it's going to take three weeks because it's going to take you three months. So make sure you have patience. It takes time, but with time, good things happen.
1: I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of people, like when people come to me and they're like, we need a website. So first of all, I'm like, we do strategy first. They're like, okay, how long does that take? So strategy with us takes anywhere between one and three months depending yeah. on what you're trying to do, um, and like, and when do I get to build my logo? I said, sometimes after the first month or so, we might be ready to start building that, and how long does that take? That takes yeah. a month. A month, like, so Esti, I won't be done for like three to six months? I'm like, not if you want to do it well,
0: no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it if, takes time. If you want
1: to do it sloppy, go on fiber, get something in 24 hours, and enjoy.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Not the same entity. You want to build a website overnight? It is not the same thing as when you do a strategic um, plan. And then you, uh, like we were talking about, right? You build your personas and your avatars and you craft all of your angles. And then you build a website with purpose, which begins with web strategy. And then you wireframe it. And then we go and we get the copy done. And then we get all the design assets. And then we mock it up. And then we correct it. And then we um, put it up. And then we test it. Like, yeah, that takes a lot more time. Listen, you want to move into a furnished apartment are going to build a custom house?
0: Which one? Exactly. Exactly.
1: Totally different. So that for sure. So for this team thing, and I, I this really appeals to me because I also run a fully virtual team and we're also in like five time zones. Yeah. Um, And I don't even use Slack yet. I've been trying to avoid it. Except you want to hear the coolest thing I literally learned last night from one of my clients in London? Because I was complaining because he has me on his Slack and he knows that like I'll WhatsApp everybody if I can help it. <laughs> because I can voice note. Yeah, uh, So much easier for me to talk and I'm like, so we're discussing it yet again. I don't even know why. And he's like, I you know what we got? There is a plugin for Slack that lets you voice note.
0: Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, we use we use Slack. I love it. I love it because we have different categories for marketing, sales, operations, new features, product launches, content uploading, everything, for all of that. Oh, amazing, amazing, amazing. I use
1: WhatsApp like it's Slack just with voice notes. But the truth yeah. is, it's not really, because other people can't access it if they're not in the thing, and you can't yeah. search it. And you can't. It's not the same, and I know it's not the same, and I know I have to grow up and move into Slack. But um, this voice note thing is game changer for me. I message my assistant instantly. I'm like, guess what? We might actually. Move into <laughs> part of the team operates in Slack. Just, I don't <laughs> like part of the team already does. Um, and it's just like, they're waiting for Esty to join in.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Cause she's addicted to her voice notes.
1: Um, but do you ever do like
0: group zoom calls? Like, do you do it, things where everyone gets together? We do that. So every Monday morning from nine o'clock, we have our sales call. 10 o'clock is our marketing call and 11 o'clock is a development call. So we do, I do as a CEO, I do one hour each one.
1: Got it. Um, yeah. I had that with some of my teams also, with my team and then with some of my clients where yeah. I like, I come in as like a, a CMO or a CIO sometimes for different yeah. companies. Um, exactly. So have you ever, so this is an idea that I had and I haven't tried this yet, um, but I had, I have thought about it. Sending food to the different teams for like a special meeting or sending a gift that's going to arrive that like, it's almost like you're in one place.
0: Yeah. So what we, what we do is that we do, um, I have my HR out in well, Serbia. They actually take everyone out for every month for a dinner. So we, we do a screen share with me. So I actually see them and I do a little talk a little so bit. Having, having um, at, at dinner. So we do do that. Yes.
1: That's cool. What if everyone was doing that at the same time?
0: Oh, I mean, that's, that's a good idea. I mean, it would be, it would be breakfast somewhere, lunch somewhere, yeah. dinner somewhere and but dinner would... somewhere else. And yeah, exactly. what if
1: one manager in each location had gotten a box of some gift or some new unveiling or some something, and it got given to everybody at the same time?
0: Ex- yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting one. I'm going to write that one down. That's it would good.
1: feel very different. Cause so this is something, again, it's something that I also struggle with and deal with. Like some my team is in all different time zones. Some of my clients' teams also. Again, I'm in LA, and I have clients in Europe, and some of their teams are in Eastern Europe and across the East Coast, and like we're all over, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And the coordination is super fun. You know, I'm like, okay, who wants to wake up early? Who wants to go to sleep late?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It's so um, funny.
1: But these are things that I've, I haven't tried them yet. So if you try them, let me know how they work. Cause I, I've been, how to pull, how do you pull the team together? Right. Cause you have all the virtual channels and then you have the zoom and screen chairs, but what can you touch?
0: What can exactly. you physically
1: touch? And like, you know, can I make everybody a t-shirt, you know, and then everyone's going to like wear it together and like, we'll all, and, and again, why do armies have uniforms? It, it's part of feeling part of something, you know, we'll team, yeah. looking, yeah, we'll all kind of look the same, even though we all sit in offices and no one sees us. Exactly. (laughs) But but we're part of something that we all are wearing the same shirt. It's like, hey, you're wearing the same shirt as me. Like whenever I meet a stranger and like we're wearing the same outfit, like I was once out at an event. This was actually bad. And I was, no, it wasn't bad because I didn't end up wearing it. And I went to this event and I had this, I had been deciding that day if I was wearing, it was like a black and white outfit or like a blue outfit, let's say. Right. And I get to the event and there's like a 15 year old wearing my black and white outfit. And I was very, very happy I wore the blue one because I was like, that would have been just so weird. <laughs> like it looks very <laughs> different on her than it does on me. And it just looks kind of funny.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but, That's good. But
1: there's a connection when you walk in somewhere you're like, oh my gosh, I have that shirt. <laughs> you know?
0: That's amazing. That is good. That is good. Cool.
1: Cool stuff. This has been so, so, Sean, you're genius. I love this. This has been so valuable, even for me, guys. All of you listening, I know it has been. I apologize if there's a little too much techno babble. But um, <laughs> but this is this is incredibly valuable. Thank you. So where can people and actually this I know, right? Um, because if you haven't noticed, Sean's a sales guy. He's dropped his name and email at least three to five times through this conversation. <laughs> to you. Just email him at Sean at with a K. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so is that where you want people to find you or where should they go to find out more about Yeah, me?
0: they can do that. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm very engaged on LinkedIn. I post a lot of good content. So um, email or LinkedIn would be the two best places to get in touch with me.
1: Amazing. So we will put that up on sdran.com 75 and in the show notes so you can check Sean out. Um, so Sean, I like to surprise my guests at the end and ask for a quote. It doesn't have to be a uh, one of all time, but it can be. Uh, just be something that resonates now. But I love these little wisdoms to send people on their way.
0: A quote. Um, Wayne Gretzky's quote was it? Uh, you, you miss. Uh, you miss a hundred of the. Sh- what is it? You miss hundred of shots you don't take. You miss a hundred percent of the shots. 100%, 100%, 100% of the, that was Hundred percent yeah, of the shots you don't take. Exactly.
1: I like that quote a lot, so I'm familiar with it.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: I think that's great. And I think it, it's so representative of your story also. And I love that. It's one of my favorite things about the end. Like, you know, when we hear that quote and we can compare it to everything you've said and like, you know, how you, you know, just kind of gone for it in so many different ways in the business and your business is a business of, if you will, going for it, taking those shots. Yeah. It's a resonant quote to, to the company, to, to what you do. I love it. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. This has been fantastic. So guys, for all of you listening, I know you're subscribed. Like I know you are, but like just on the like slight chance that you're not hit subscribe right now. Cause this was gold and you know, the last one was, and you know, the next one will be. So hit subscribe and you know somebody who needs to do email marketing. You know, somebody who needs more lead gen. You know, someone who needs to learn about this, learn about this tool and also learn about how to do this kinds of lead gen sequence. If you know anyone who's been trying to send emails to get leads, please, please share this specific episode with them so that they can do it smarter and better. So share it through iTunes, through Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, or just go to sdrand.com slash 75 or share sdrand.com, E-S-T-I-E-R-A-N-D.com slash 75, where you'll find the show notes and the web streaming link to the episode. And share that love and that knowledge and that wealth. And we'll catch you next time. Sean, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, see That was a lot of fun.
1: This was super fun. We'll see you next week, guys.
0: You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with S.D. Rand. If you're looking
1: for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?